Welcome to the Make Your Friends Rich podcast, dedicated to founders and their friends enriching each other and how that love fest can manifest into beautiful things. We're your hosts, Megan Everett and Lance Pin. In the years we've known one another, we've helped each other make money and friends that, that have changed, changed our lives. lives. Remembering always, it's not what you know, but who you know. And how useful you can be to each other that can really change your stations in life. These theories of um, you know wealth management where you have a very diversified portfolio no matter what phase of life you're in. You want the same thing for your personal network. And I think that that's one of the biggest um, misconceptions that people have in terms of building their network is, you know, this idea around homophily, which is birds of a feather flock together. And we're naturally attracted to people who are like us or doing the same things we are. And it's easy for us to um, connect with them because we're, you know, likely going to the same gym or the same restaurants and want to do the same things. So we can kind of couple up. But the power, the true power, and the, the added value of a network that you're building for yourself really comes when you go outside the fringe and you're looking at people who are involved in and trying to become excellent in areas that you actually have no or little exposure to. Testing, testing. This episode features an entrepreneur that's built her career around building relationships. Known for founding Boston's premier experiential networking company and advising various high-profile brands throughout her career, Carolyn Kim Meenan. In our discussion, Carolyn shares how she developed the perfect formula for creating events that offer clean relationship-building opportunities. Then she teaches us the philosophy that's guided her to amassing the deep personal network she has today and what we can all do to exhibit our own depth of purpose in every connection. So if you're looking to redefine your approach to making a diverse set of friends and what it takes to anticipate and reciprocate quality engagement, please listen with us as we make friends with one of the good ones, Carolyn Kim Meenan. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Make Your Friends Rich podcast. We're your hosts, Lance Pinn and Megan Everett, and today we've got on expert networker, entrepreneur, advisor, and currently serving as partner of Motto Beverage Company, Carolyn Kim Meenan. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience and take us back to how you got started, even as a kid? What path led you to become such a super connector, maven, and was it a straight path or did you realize something along the way that synced it up for you? I spent my life uh, considering myself as a person in marketing, um, a, an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial mind, and certainly a connector. Um, people and being social is something that has always been very close to my daily life since I was a very young, um, young girl. And I remember even in high school being um, someone who kind of circulated throughout all the different social circles within high school. And fast forward to really kind of the early stages of my career <clears throat> when I was working at Merrill Lynch and kind of getting my career up and running there as a financial advisor. I remember that was kind of back in the day when, um, you know, Yellow Pages was still a thing, cold calling was still a thing. And uh, the job was very much a grind that, um, you know, sitting in my cubicle the very first day on the job, 
with all of my materials to study for the licensing exams that I had. And I remember my managing director walking by and slamming a yellow pages on my desk uh, and basically saying, you know, get used to your best friend. This is going to be um, a tool that you're going to be very close with and ideally making a hundred plus calls a day from this while you're studying for your exams and um, hopefully building your business as a wealth manager. <clears throat> and I remember that was really the first time I became consciously aware of what networking was, uh, the intentions behind it, and um, you know, also uncovering some of the challenges when it comes to um, opportunities to connect with people and build relationships and build your own social network. So, um, for me, in terms of building any business that I've built or just interacting with humans in general, um, I've always felt that adhering to this particular philosophy has been kind of a litmus and just a staple, staple in my life. And that philosophy is treat others the way you want to be treated. And so this idea of having this yellow pages and picking up the phone every day, calling 100 people who didn't know me and trying to solicit them to give me all their life savings when they'd never met me, was a very strange idea and something that I certainly wouldn't be receptive to if it were coming my way. So quickly I had to kind of on my feet think, okay, well, I'm new in Boston. I have no relationships here. I have no family here. I um, have no experience in finance. Uh, I certainly have no wealth of my own at that point. So can't even relate to the people that I'm reaching out to. Um, so how am I going to, how am I going to basically meet these these massive hurdles that I had set for myself um, and the company had set for me to bring in new clients, build a book of business um, and do so in a way that was uh, within the, the value system that I had for myself. So um, that's when this idea of really finding a, an efficient and productive and clean way to network started kind of bubbling in my head. Um, and that became kind of the first step in a in a multi-phase journey of entrepreneurship for me and really exploring and diving deeper into networking. Um, so my life has really been um, one of building relationships and doing so in a way that um, adds value to really everyone in my life and it brings me tremendous joy and, um, and honestly um, a multitude of opportunities that just continue to come my way. Seems like you've done <laughs> a lot and you've built an amazing network. So can you talk a little bit more about how you've learned to actually meet the right people to build this network, like in all of your businesses, but especially in wealth management, I feel like <laughs> that's a very tricky thing to do to ask people to hand over their portfolios to you. Yeah. So to continue with that story, basically my next steps were, okay, you know, I've got to do what the boss asks, which is call, cold call these people. And it kind of worked out exactly how I expected, which was a lot of uh, curses, a lot of people hanging up on me, a lot of people being super annoyed and me just hating doing it. So it was probably all just, you know, one big cause and effect relationship there. Um, and so the next step, which really brought me towards this kind of enlightenment around networking was um, I started basically with an approach of, okay, what's something that I would want to be, you know, invited to that would excite me and give me an opportunity to meet other people that have some, some form of similar interests. And so what I started doing was um, putting together um, wedding style invitations, very fancy, beautiful one card invitations that I would mail out to, um, you know, 2000 people on, a, on any given weekend. Um, so not, you know, cold calling, but cold mailing. And I would invite people to 
mini events of eight to 12 people that um, you know, were centered around an idea that wasn't necessarily finance or the economy or what the stock markets were doing or, or trending for. And uh, so one of the people that I connected with was um, just cold outreach was to uh, Bill Nesto, uh, who was at the time the founder of the wine studies program at Boston University. So got him in the loop and we kind of collaborated and put together some really interesting meals that, that embodied the history of wine um, and um, wine culture and, and even kind of why the, there's a rooster on a corkscrew of some of the uh, Bordeaux that you'll see out there and how that relates to the revolution. And, and these were the types of things that, you know, sparks were going off in my head saying, okay, um, these are interesting things to talk about. Um, I wouldn't feel like I was being pulled into something to kind of just be sold and have someone just wanting something from me. It was someone really, you know, if someone invited me to something like that, I would feel like they were making a gesture to give me an experience with um, education and in an environment that would be enjoyable. So I started doing these events and what I found pretty quickly is that, um, you know, we were getting oversubscription to the events. Obviously they were small, but we were getting oversubscription to them. I was hosting about two a month, getting them completely sponsored and uh, people were loving them. And what it gave us an opportunity to do was to not talk at all about uh, economics and to talk entirely about you know, where you spend your summers and how your grandkids are and do you play golf and, um, you know, what types of uh, exposure you've had to wine and, and, and the different wineries and, you know, in the States or, or internationally. And that led to quick um, relationship building. And from there on kind of started getting a little bit more of the hang of, okay, I understand what's involved in building a relationship quickly. Um, and so let's see where else I can take this. So the next thing that I looked to were these pre-existing networking events um, back in, again, the day that I started all of this, it would be, you know, the Chamber of Commerce or meetups or explicitly, you know, networking events that were named, you know, networking for people in their 20s or people in their 30s or people in, you know, the tech or the mobile space. And so I started attending and basically making it a full-time job to line up my calendar, stack it up with all these events. And what I found was that the definition of networking or the, the concept of networking at the time was really um, this kind of stale definition that had a lot of stigmas to it and was really encouraging people to kind of go for quantity over quality and spend time picking out an event, driving to it, um, and bringing, you know, always had to bring a stack of business cards. And the objective was, okay, how do I cover every single person in this space as quickly as possible, exchange cards, and most importantly, get their card, because most people, if you gave them their, your card, they wouldn't necessarily follow up. So if you grabbed their card, there was some sort of guarantee that you were in control of whether or not you communicated again. And it was, you know, put your fancy clothes on. It was very much a speed interview style. And what I found there were um, a ton of opportunities to improve not only this kind of definition of what networking was, but also to just improve the environments that people were networking in. Because if I, who, who you know, someone who was extremely eager and open-minded to meet as many great people as possible, if I was struggling finding any sort of real substantial value and really just feeling frustrated with how long the process was taking and how little I was getting back from it, um, you know, for me, I saw an opportunity to really build a business around these opportunities. 
so that's when I rolled into um, my first real entrepreneurial endeavor, which was the good ones. And I ran that company for about seven years in Boston with my co-founder, who actually was my um, childhood friend from eighth grade. And um, we were kind of inspired to socialize in town. And really, our kind of internal goal wasn't, um, hey, let's make a jillion dollars on this and, you know, see what happens and throw some great parties. But it was more so, how do we get to know the most interesting people in town, the most excellent people in town, the most curious people in town, and how do we get them to all know us? And right away, it, it occurred to us that, you know, when you host a really cool event or a fun gathering, you're the one person that every single person in that space or on the, the guest list is likely to know and want to have a conversation with. So that kind of kicked off this seven year, you know, 4,000 member, um, 200 plus event phase of, of my life, um, where really honing in on how to curate and get the right groups of people together, which is extremely important. Um, and another thing that was totally um, just not accomplished in a lot of these just broader events that you would, you would previously attend, um, where it was kind of the commonality was you were in your 20s and you lived in Boston, or you knew about the Chamber of Commerce and that event, so therefore you were attending it. Um, and then next thing you know, you're talking to someone who sells branded pens for companies, and this is a true story, and I didn't own my own company. I wasn't going to buy two pens from you. And, and you ended up getting stuck in these conversations that just didn't make sense for either party. And then you kind of, um, you know, add those up and you've wasted a whole afternoon, um, you know, all people involved. So, um, so the biggest component of, you know, our findings in terms of structuring these get togethers uh, in a way that was really valuable for everyone there. That was our goal. Make sure that everyone, you know, if we set an event for 90 minutes, we did that intentionally so that people would show up on time, knowing that there was a limited amount of time to have crossover with others, um, show up on time, and that we tried to basically create some sort of guarantee that anybody you could talk to in that room would be a viable, worthwhile conversation for you to have and a potential relationship for you to continue and sustain. And of course, it took some fine tuning, but we started with a, you know, 65 question image based psychology exam that we built ourselves on WordPress. It was super janky. Um, it was like copywritten, pixelated photos of uh, all sorts of images that represented, um, you know, types of answers that we were looking to extract from people. And we just tried to make it fun. And so we, we collected a lot of data. Um, and it would be anything from, you know, how many degrees do you have to how many continents have you traveled to, to are you a middle sibling to, um, you know, what areas of, um, you know, what subjects did you study in school, sports, et cetera, et cetera. And what this was enabling us to do was curate a group of people that were extremely diverse and, you know, kind of pulling from these theories of, um, you know, wealth management, where you have a very diversified portfolio, no matter what phase of life you're in. You want the same thing for your personal network. And I think that that's one of the biggest um, misconceptions that people have in terms of building their network is, you know, this idea around homophily, which is birds of a feather flock together. And we're naturally attracted to people who are like us or doing the same things we are. And it's easy for us to um, connect with them because we're, you know, likely going to the same gym or the same restaurants and want to do the same things so we can kind of couple up. 
But the power, the true power and the, the added value of a network that you're building for yourself really comes when you go outside the fringe and you're looking at people who are involved in and trying to become excellent in areas that you actually have no or little exposure to. Um, and you know, the caveat being, of course, you have to be interested and you have to be an interested person and a person who's curious in learning more about, you know, this person and, and the, the fact that they're an astronaut or they're the first, you know, um, citizen to fly, you know, SpaceX um, or someone who's making plant-based soda, which is how I ended up where I am today, working for um, an incredible disruptive uh, beverage company. And you just have to be interested and you have to be willing to be consistently curious in the people around you and know that you're probably not going to be able to have a one-to-one -one conversation with them that's super meaningful around the subject of their expertise. But what that does is it allows you to build a network and a net around yourself that's extremely diverse and will allow you to um, you know, ebb and flow with the different phases of your life, which are unpredictable. <clears throat> wow, I'm blown away. I feel like we could uh, we could take that and throw it right into the book. Um, pretty awesome the way you do things. Now, how did you? Well, I'm, I'm, let me just cut in. How did you meet your friends that you built the good ones with? And then, like, it seems like you just made a fantastic networking tool for everyone uh, to fulfill their wildest dreams with the good ones. So. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that led to some other opportunities for you. Yeah, absolutely. So Good Ones, like I said, was um, my business partner, my uh, friend from eighth grade and I, and then with respect to the actual people who were part of the community um, and, and eventually the membership that we, that we built, um, to be perfectly honest, that was all through early days, LinkedIn and Facebook. And um, again, I was on, um, oh my gosh, I, I can't even remember the names of the early, you know, before my, before my Friendster, Friendster, like I was one of those people, you know, I was like, okay. And, and even like AOL chat rooms, I was like, who's in here? <laughs> Who lives down the street for me? And what are we talking about? And I remember that was when there was like dial up on, I'm like totally dating myself now. <laughs> A couple of times my mom would pick up the phone and you know, I lose my chat group. <laughs> oh, we all we all had dial up. We all we all yearned for dial up. We remember before dial up. Oh yes. <laughs> anyway, so um, so for me it was, and I do this to this day. In fact, um, just before this call, I was on with um, someone I just connected with a week ago on LinkedIn, and you know, every so often I will go through and I will take a look at um, a specific search word. So I'll look at, um, you know, sometimes I'll be looking for, for instance, I was helping a friend look for um, advisory board members a couple of weeks ago in the beverage space um, for an international publicly traded beverage company. And it had to be a woman and it had to have certain types of background and experience. So for me, I plug in my certain keywords um, and depending on how many results I get back, I'll either connect with all those people just because, okay, well, I've had a need to know who you are once, there's a chance I might have another need to know you another time. So let's just connect with you now and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for, I'm looking to bring you an awesome position that'll be about five hours a year and it's gonna pay you a bunch of money for your expertise. Nobody's gonna say no to that. So you take advantage of that opportunity. Um, you know, the call that I was just on was with a Holy Cross um, alum. And, you know, I went to, I'm a crusader. I went to Holy Cross in Worcester for my undergrad. 
And uh, anyone who knows that school knows that it has a very tight uh, tight alumni network uh, because of the, just the nature of the school being isolated on a hill and being quite small and um, there being a lot of common factors between the folks there. So I literally went through, just looked up Holy Cross alum and just scroll, scrolled through like 80 pages. I, you know, I had some nice music playing um, and some candles lit and just prepared myself to look throughout what people were doing. And if there was anything that looked interesting, it didn't have to be CEO of the world or president of every country, um, but it's it, someone just working in a space that looked relevant and honestly, someone who had a big smile in their profile um, and likely some activity in terms of interacting with other people on their feeds, which shows me, okay, you're interactive, you're giving and taking, you're playing into the system. Um, you seem interesting and you're probably gonna be likely to be receptive to uh, this cold outrage of, hey, and it's as simple as, hey, fellow crusader, um, hope you're well, would love to connect. And that's it. Some people don't connect, that's totally fine to their discretion. And some people connect and don't respond and leave it to you to kind of follow up and others respond right away. And those are the people that I start with. And I just say, hey, I'd love to, to connect with you. And through that process, I actually met three people. And one of them is the one I just spoke with who she happens to be my neighbor, number one. She's super cool. We're gonna go hiking and uh, she wants to introduce me to pickleball, which I'm really excited about. <clears throat> but also she knows the beverage company that I'm currently a partner at. And um, the Leanbox healthy vending machines used to be set up in her cafeteria in her office. And she's like, I remember the glass screen bottle and I love that drink. And now that I know a crusader is working with it, I love it even more. So it just shows you how you can't be narrow scoped. Um, you have to be really open-minded to who you're connecting with because ultimately if I'm looking at, you know, what this, what this young woman does, it's not necessarily relevant or I don't see any direct A to B line as to how this is going to advance my personal life or trajectory at the moment. But I know she went to my school. She seemed interested in talking. She loves my product. Let's have a conversation and who knows where it goes. And I think that's also another key is just to, um, to be willing to put the time into it. And, and instead of looking at networking as um, this, you know, that's a word that I actually don't use very often because I don't love the fact that it has the word work in it. I feel like networking feels like this strategic job and when you position something that way, it kind of dictates how it's going to end up. And for me, I think if we repositioned and we redefined what networking is as really just building a diverse group of friends, that everything is, every problem is solved there because you need friends in life and you understand how to interact with friends. You have to see them in person. You have to care about what they're doing. You have to have a give and take in terms of conversation and things that you're, you know, giving and receiving from one another. And you genuinely care about what that person's up to, how they're evolving and how you can make an impact on their life. Um, absolutely. I always say, if you can make a friend, you can make a sale. Yeah. Some sales like consulting and coaching. And I'm like, the easier part of this is actually making friends. The hard part, the cold calling all of that is ridiculous and takes so much time and it just doesn't really work you know yeah and my equivalent of and of course you know what i'm doing on um on linkedin and what i'm doing on facebook has elements of that cold outreach but it's in a way that isn't i'm bothering you by making a sound ring in your life that you have to interact with you can ignore me you cannot talk to me 
that's totally fine. I'm not going to ping you every three weeks. Say, did you see my last email? Which by the way, when people do that, that's not the right way to do it either. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, And yeah, just grow your group of friends, but just like friends, you can't just start a friendship and then assume it's going to last forever and ever and ever without maintaining that relationship, whether it be through at least a phone call or email or text, whatever type of interaction makes sense for you. Um, But there are going to be time, you know, times when that person may reach out and have a favor to ask or vice versa. And that's something that, you know, is a fruit of the investment from the investment of time that you've, you've put into building a relationship with that person um, so that it's not just this random ask from a random stranger that we all know is, is not very welcome. Yeah, I have to, uh, to note that your old school techniques uh, still work today, giving people cards in their office, their home, like people love that because they haven't gotten wedding style envelopes always get opened. People take <laughs> notes. Sounds like you're still doing LinkedIn, hardcore combing and individual harvesting of relationships. Uh, which is, I think, how we met. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that, amazing, amazing. I love that you mentioned um, relationship maintenance as a concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, would love to get your idea on how to manage that appropriately. And hold on one second, because I will confess that I get bored at holidays at some time in the holiday, and I'm sure to go to my phone and I try to go through all the people that I texted in the year to let them know that I'm thankful for hanging out with them. Because otherwise, why would they be in my phone? And that is fantastic outreach. Uh, Facebook also, I love birthdays. The reason I use Facebook, the like, number one reason is just to remember people's birthdays. And it's so easy to hit them up with a little bit of love. Uh, and then also to remember how you know that person sometimes and to like, you know, re-engage your own emotional feeling. So it'd be cool to know uh, if you have some tips and tricks there. And I just wanted to note one last thing. I was in... Um, Walgreens yesterday in the line. There was a line, irritating. And I saw a box of, uh, that, that hadn't been put up yet because the place is understaffed, super understaffed. One kid, I don't know how old he was, maybe 14, I have no idea. Um, anyway, he's got a line. I'm looking around, I see a box and it's small. And I'm like, what could possibly be in this box? Why is that here? Does it need to be refrigerated? And I see it is a box from the Hallmark Marketing Company. Still uses that name. And I know it hurts your feelings to hear networking you know, being described as that word, it just, it doesn't seem to fit anymore, especially not the way that you do it. Um, And it's ironic that I noticed this as well on a card company catalog. And it made me think that maybe, you know, they had a, they had a thing or two going. I always say the marketing gods gave us all these holidays as reasons to be able to reach out to people just in your own relationship, just to check in with them. Um, It's, and it's pretty interesting that, uh, that Hallmark is not afraid to say that they are a marketing company and uh, I think that they are probably the creators of the first memes. When you look at cards, like, what is a card? It's a feeling. I mean, they could go hard with it. They could say, they could say, we're never using the word marketing again. We are a feeling producer on paper or whatever in real life. <laughs> all right. Uh, so all that, th- think about all that. And let me know uh, some thoughts about relationship man- uh, maintenance and uh, frequency. I think it's yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I don't think that there's a set formula for that at all. And I do think that it is nice. I actually went the opposite direction um, in the past few years where I used to always have a Thanksgiving um, letter that I would write to folks. I think that for me, I try to avoid occasions where everyone's already kind of, um, again, this idea of 
what I would want, which is not to be overwhelmed and overloaded with all these messages like birthdays. I usually like close my Facebook down the day of my birthday, not because I don't want people to have the, the ability to say happy birthday, but let's be real half the time. I don't really know a lot of these people. Right. And it brings them joy, but it also is a little bit um, of kind of this, like this inbox kind of rating, um, which I think we're all kind of trying to move a little bit away from. I think that for me, um, the maintenance of these friendships or these relationships is really about always keeping a person top of mind and, and continually trying to find opportunities and scan for opportunities where you can create other meaningful relationships between the people you know. And it doesn't have to be catalyzed by an ask, a direct ask, but just thoughtfulness. And so for instance, you know, I have um, one of the, the the big executives over at HubSpot, where I was working for several years before um, before joining the Motto Beverage Company. <clears throat> I found out that one of them was really um, he and his wife were actually really into uh, Sam Harris, and I just through conversation with a friend of mine, um, she was talking about how she was going to have dinner with him, and they've become friends. And I saw it as an opportunity because I was close enough with her. And I wanted to do something nice for this executive at my company who had really provided me with an opportunity opportunity to do some really, um, really powerful and interesting things um, at HubSpot. So um, I just asked her, I said, hey, you know, this person at my company is a huge fan. Um, and, you know, Sam Harris might also be a huge fan of this guy if he got to know him. Um, he's obviously in the, specifically in a tech sector, so might not be as much on, the, you know, the mainstream, the mainstream grid. But maybe he knows him. And if not, um, would he be open to, you know, potentially having dinner with with this couple at some point and was able to just facilitate the conversation? Um, they weren't able to coordinate, but they were able to connect over email. They have each other's information. They have a warm introduction. And I may never have a, a really viable reason to reach out to either person again and say, oh, could you help me with this? But that doesn't matter, because I think that part of this nurturing of these relationships and these maintaining of the relationships, again, is picking people in your life that you want to see succeed, that are striving for excellence and are doing interesting things. That will continue to drive you to um, different levels of, of awareness and knowledge and education as well in what they're doing. It will continue to inspire you to strive upwards towards excellence in your life. And if you have an opportunity to give and connect people what happens there is those two people, if they ever actually build a relationship or anytime they interact, you will always be top of mind. So you're giving yourself a three-way gift. And if you can continue to do that and meaningfully do that and execute very accurately on that, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes I've seen people get excited about, oh, I know two people who um, are both in biotech and might really like each other. And there isn't quite enough enough depth around the purpose of that connection for it to be meaningful um, and ends up kind of being this awkward introduction where both people don't really have much in common or much need for each other. And that actually can work against you. So being really thoughtful about, um, you know, if this were you, would you want this kind of introduction? Would this add value to your life? And really, really making sure that you've kind of done all your due diligence. And the more you can do that, and the more you can think of people, and the more you can include them in things that you're doing that expose them to this kind of hard work of bringing the right people together, the more appreciative they'll be of you. And that carries itself through seven birthday cards. I love that approach. 
we like we get mixed up on whose turn it is. <laughs> and so I just, I just hard stop. We're take I hard stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. Your flow is so good, and then you do like we don't. I we have no idea. You might have to put like, like a flash card behind. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, we just need to shut up and let Carolyn talk. You have so many good things to say, and it took me like a very long time to figure out how to like quote network or like work a conference. And I had so much social anxiety going into these very large conferences. Like my first introduction was one that I met Lance at, which was like 40,000 people in Vegas. And I was yeah. like, um, I have no clue how to work this or like what I'm doing. <clears throat> and we had meetings set up every 20 minutes. So we were just like flying through people in yep. four days. Um, but I think it's so important to like make the right connections. And I think that I have missed that mark. I used to be very quick to introduce people to each other and be like, you and you, like you're interesting, you're interesting, you should know each other. <laughs> it doesn't always work. Um, so I think the mindfulness behind that is really important. But I'd love- but hold on. What? Can I, I just want to interject though, because I, I definitely am the other guy that has a stack of business cards. I mean, now I finally realized that I don't need business cards and I can just hook them up with a little- scanny scan or yeah. a little bumpy tap and that's great and it's probably better for for germ transfer um but i think and i think you're right i definitely meet quite a few people more than i can actually work with or help or benefit but just you know spreading that that good feeling has resulted in people you know making connections for me that i think are pretty interesting just having a good vibe but i totally feel you like there's whenever there's a guy named lance I try to hang out with that guy. <laughs> Most of the time, they don't get it. They don't, they're like, you know, we did the thing. Like, I don't, I never need to see anyway. Because I thought it, you know, your, it's kind of a. Go ahead. How's your batting average with that? It's like it's like near zero. Like I, I think the last <laughs> time I, I just met a Lance actually recently, and I didn't want to. You know, we had a good enough little ten second thing that I just didn't want to have a bad feeling from it because it's been. It, Anyway, just kidding. Uh, uh, back to, oh man, I got distracted. Back to being serious about uh, connection. Um, I feel like you're a master at a couple of the things that we're talking about today. And that's why we aren't talking very much. Um, but also uh, there's a level that you have to master being comfortable with people and practice makes perfect. And so like I'm, I'm maybe if anyone's listening that isn't, it can't go from zero to 60 and, and then knowing how to filter out like what the most appropriate uh, networking style is for you and it could probably err on the side of networking a little bit too hard as long as you you know always refocus and get back to what you're actually after okay sorry back to you Megan no and, and just to quickly respond to to Megan what you were saying about that mega conference with 45,000 people um so part of the research that we were doing as we were studying you know how do we build this environment that is you know kind of a a ground for building your perfect diversified network. We, we came to the understanding that about 40 people is the right size group for a number of reasons to really um, focus your in-person networking experiences. And these larger events, and I remember even at HubSpot, um, you know, talking about the, you know, they have this massive inbound event every year. And it gets you know, bigger and bigger every single year, which is such a positive thing. However, um, 
a lot of the feedback as to why people are attending these events is for that personal networking. And as you know, as it gets bigger, it kind of goes back to that original problem we talked about, which is who do you talk to? And also there's a real thing with emotional contagion. And if you have a lot of people, if you have 40,000 people, let's say 5,000 are super comfortable in that setting, 40,000 people are kind of uncomfortable and intimidated. That energy is flying off the steel beams and hitting people in the face. And that creates this weird, um, just weird behavior that isn't the normal uh, as if you were kind of sitting around, uh, you know, a table on a sofa watching a Sunday night football with a couple of friends, even if, you know, three of them are people you've never met. So uh, we ended up fine tuning these events to be no more than um, 40 to 60 people, assuming that some people would kind of come and go. So at any given time, there would be about 40 people. And of course, mixed it with a combination of introverts and extroverts to make sure that the flow of conversation was there and that the right energy balance was there. Um, but that's obviously you know, information that's specific to someone who's trying to curate these types of networking experiences versus just trying to go out and you know, build their network. So, <clears throat> but I did want to address that, that that's, not, that's normal. I, I could never, I walk right in and out of big events like that. It just, it's like there's a wall, there's an aura there that says, not happening. <laughs> it's a little different when you have to go for work, but like now I enjoy them. But sure. six years ago when I met Lance, I was like, what am I doing here? And why are there 40,000 people in blue suits here? Sure. It's, um, a commercial real estate event. So like everybody's in their $2,000 suit with their $500 shoes. So it's even oh, and that's intimidating. And that's all high, high, high bar extroverts too. Oh yeah. So it's so it's no, this real, is interesting. We could talk about this. So you can energy. tell yeah. you can tell what what people's jobs are by their outfit at this yes. at this trade show. And so what we as retailers will be yeah, there. We as day. retailers, we would wear nice dress sneakers, but not like five hundred dollar ones, uh, nice dress uh, jeans and a button down of some kind. And the reason that I think uh, Megan Cole called me via email maybe to set the meeting up or somewhere in her organization, or I did, because I was interested in mapping out like the heat mapping our store, right? And seeing where people use the space the most so we could improve it on the next design or whatever. And so that was like a flyer. Like that wasn't, nobody wanted to add that value as part of this, uh, this particular trade show. And then Meg also uh, may have thought we were a different company at the time. We don't have to get into that. Um, but we wound up meeting because we were there. So sometimes that, that leads to great value on the road. Yes. Anyway, anyway. So that's how we met. We'll be there again next week. But um, that came fast. But I'm excited for the return of in-person events. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big one. I don't think there's going to be 40,000 people this year. Like, not Me too. And actually, this is where you, again, add tremendous value uh, yeah. in real life, in real time. Uh, Carolyn, while, while we're in the middle of COVID, everything changed. Zoom, luckily I was already on it because I had a terrible mm-hmm. learning curve of all kinds. Uh, you know, blew up, all kinds of remote work, Slack is now your office. And so for someone like you that specializes in making emotion and feeling, like what did you do during that time? Um, or were you already completely focused on uh, your new project? Um, I don't know. I feel like you, you still have this, this need to produce and make people network. And I definitely got to participate in a couple of things that you did. So how was that? How did that feel to you? And what was your reaction? And how, how quickly did you get back going? 
Yeah, I think that's a great, a great thing to kind of um, think back to, because I think the era of COVID obviously took a lot of people by surprise and changed behaviors without us even consciously realizing it or planning for it. Um, as you know, you participated in some of the um, group hikes, which is really just an idea of, okay, if we're confined to being outdoors and wearing masks, let's get some exercise, get our endorphins going and invite a couple people that we like and have everybody invite a couple people. And then you can walk and play musical chairs while we get some exercise or just walk by yourself, which is totally fine when you're hiking um, and catch up with people and actually have new things to talk about for the first time ever in six months, right? During COVID, like, what do you talk about even? Um, <clears throat> so for me, um, to that point, um, I definitely hosted a couple of those things. Looking back, didn't even realize what was happening at the time. I think, you know, in my reflections since the end of like the real peak, the first peak of COVID, it occurred to me that um, my seven years working at working with the good ones, um, I was almost over-socialized. Um, and that's an expression I use often to describe my time there where I was meeting and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with hundreds of people a week. And it was really hard to see between the lines in terms of who even made sense for me on a personal level and who was a potential customer and who was someone potentially in need, who had something to offer because it was such a high rate of having to digest all this information. And I've definitely been referred to as a human encyclopedia. Um, and I do believe that there's a lot of truth to that because I, I just care so deeply about people and I'm so curious about where people are coming from and where they're going. But even that was a lot for me. So I think that I personally took the time in COVID as a major decompression time and an opportunity to just think about my own goals. Um, as you mentioned, right before um, in February of uh, 2019 or 2020, um, yeah, February of 2020, when COVID was just starting to kind of creep up on everyone, um, that's when I decided to join the Model Beverage Company, which is a company that I actually met um, through my work at The Good Ones. Uh, they launched, uh, the two founders launched about the same time that I had launched The Good Ones. And again, following those principles of this is a product I like, this is, and I know nothing about, it's matcha in a bottle, and I don't even know what matcha is, and no, neither does anyone else at this, this party or that I speak with. It's absolutely delicious. It's good for you. The founders are super nice. Um, one of them hosts us, my business partner and I, for dinner and has these amazing experiences for us with you know, um, even like handpicked apple wood so that you could go outside and kind of take in the fragrance of the apple wood with custom cocktails made of all sorts of fresh herbs and ingredients and um, just curating these wonderful experiences. So I invested time in getting to know those people and, and really being involved um, on a kind of informal advisory level. Um, and that's what led me to, you know, seven years later, um, having the opportunity when I was trying to figure out kind of what my next uh, fun journey or project would be, that's when they proposed to me and said, hey, we're getting ready to do something really big here. We launched with this original format product that's, you know, cold chain storage and um, glass bottle, which is heavy and breakable. And we've got a product that needs to be refrigerated at all points of its lifespan. And we need to change our business model so and our product so that it uh, can fly across the country to land on someone's doorstep as needed. And so that it can be shelf stable so that more stores can have you know, stockpiles of inventory. 
Um, and we need to expand our flavor varieties because we, you know, one thing we do extraordinarily well is take delicious, uh, take healthy ingredients that actually aren't always so delicious, like matcha, which can be really bitter, um, and some of the future ingredients and turn them into this just really special um, beverage that is going to make people feel like they're not compromising on anything, but actually just kind of celebrating a little bit. So the way that I kind of carried all of my background um, and interest in other people and building relationships through this particular role was they had a need, a clear need to build a team, a core team to build, build and expand an advisory board that would um, play right into kind of the, the pivot um, of e-commerce and expansion and scaling. Um, and they needed to fundraise. And so, um, you know, those, and they, they were very particular and still are about who gets involved in the organization because, you know, you ask any entrepreneur who's had to fundraise and they'll tell you, don't take money from anybody. And that could never be more true after, you know, all the stories that I've heard that you have to find people that align with your brands. And um, that's what I love to do. So I was able to join the operation um, and now they're like peaking in terms of relevancy in a world that cares so much about immunity and everyday wellness and um, sustainability and plants and nutrition. Um, and I'm able to add value through um, through just having great relationships with people and being able to um, enable those relationships to open doors in, a, in an entirely new industry. I've never done anything in the consumer goods space. And, you know, in the past two years, I've committed to studying the space, the, the different players in the space, and also to um, getting to know all the brands that are doing fantastic things that I admire and making time to reach out to all the founders and the decision makers and set up a 30 minute zoom with them. Hey, we're, you know, you know, my, my little one liner is, you know, you know, love your business, which always has to be true. Um, you never fake that stuff, love your business. Um, and just want to say hi to a fellow beverage monger, you know, and most people say, cool, that's, you know, we're, we're players in the same really challenging game. And then you have to have a meaningful follow-up to that. It can't just be like, Oh, you're, you sound really cool. You know, thanks for connecting. Can I take some of your time to talk about nothing, really? Because everyone's busy, right? So you wait sometimes. If you have an immediate ask, great. Be straight up about it. But if you don't and you're just interested in connecting, be straight up about that, too. And some people will have time for it. Some people won't. Um, but typically, people want to you know, trade secrets and hear what's going on and understand who their competitors are um, or you know, figure out who alliances are. Um, and I always offer everybody, whether you're my, the, the person that's going to be sitting in the sleeve on the shelf right next to us, or you're a totally different category, you know, in food or what have you, um, always offer, you know, if I like the person, you know, hey, here's, you know, I happen to have a great relationship with the, the buyer for XYZ store. And if you ever need that person, I'm happy to connect you. You're super nice. Your product is great. I love the marketing. And those relationships are hard to come by. And likely, not that you expect it, but likely they're going to know people that you might want to know. And that's just kind of the way it works, again, with friends. It's, you know, sometimes it's a lot more give than, than take. And that is okay because the giving should feel great when it's people you care about. I agree. And I feel like the giving comes back, right? Like just 100%. like friendships, like it's always a flux. Like there's never a 50-50. But like- 100%. It might be like 10 years from now, but eventually something's going to come back. And, and that's the thing too, that I'm trying to 
also accentuate is that um, sometimes the return that you get is simply in just helping someone and it feel and you get used to that feeling and it really it really bumps you up another another notch and to have people continually introduce me it's like carolyn is such a great connector and she's connected you know people who've gotten married and people who've invested in each other and people who've started businesses together and people who are best friends um that feels really good it just feels really good and if that's the only reward you get um you kind of have to be okay with that and because sometimes that's the case and i think that if you start chasing this reciprocity it can feel forced and it can feel a little bit contrived um even though it may not be in many cases it isn't but it can feel that way and that and that takes away from the whole experience of just like hey we're friends whether you ever do anything for me i like you and i like that you you think about me the way you treat me i like that you are an inspiration for me um and i enjoy having you in within my circle so so that's all my very very strong opinions on all of that <laughs> i mean feel free to play matchmaker for me anytime perfect um, lance is like no i do not want to hear more about megan's single dating life <laughs> i was gonna let it go <laughs> i have so I hold have, on Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so Ma you brought up Mod. You described uh, some great things about the company and where it's headed and where it needs to go and, and, and your involvement there. But I want to know a little bit, uh, a little bit more about the product, the way you described it to me, I believe um, you, you, you took advantage or you uh, noticed in the situation we were in when I was probably drinking coffee. I keep a, uh, I keep some in my hand at all times, my other hand in my pocket with a clipboard tucked under it, like a good construction. Um, no, but, uh, I'm addicted, right? And uh, that's not healthy. So wh why is Motto, what's the value proposition there? Why is that better than coffee? Well, Motto is not going to address an addiction issue, Lance. We're going to have to have a side. There was side quotes. On that one. There's, where, there's <laughs> quote, you can't, you can't hear the air quotes. Sorry. Okay. And in fact, there are people, before I dive into what Motto is, but there are people that have written us beautiful, beautiful letters saying that, um, you know, maybe they're coming out of alcohol addiction, actually, and alcohol dependency and that motto is their go-to fix. And it's really great to have that. Um, and it's great to be able to provide that. Um, and also for someone like myself, who's really just trying to drink less and less and less in general. And if I can go out and even just every other um, with something that is going to be nutritive, um, then that's going to just uh, do wonders in my longevity. But <clears throat> so again, um, motto beverage company um, based in Brooklyn, uh, pioneers of their time, the two founders, Tom and Henry, um, founded the company about eight years ago or so. Um, and again, at the time that they launched, I remember being introduced to the product at a Good Ones event through a friend of mine who was in PR and said, you and everyone in this group need to try this product. It's super cutting edge. It's so different and it's absolutely delicious and it's gorgeous presentation. And I agreed with everything that she said. Um, and I remember that, you know, anytime I am uh, a fan of something, I become an ambassador because why not? Why not help people spread the word, um, you know, and, and hope that that other people will do that if they love what you're doing. So I started doing that. And I remember requiring you have to be at every event where we have your product. There are in-kind sponsors, product sponsors of almost every event that we could have an outside beverage be present at. I said, you have to be, Tom, you have to be at every single event because people are going to love you. And then they're going to have this connection between the founder 
and the product that's actually tangible that they can pick up in a Whole Foods. And that's going to be just an incredible, you know, lifetime relationship and story for that person to be able to share around a table when they're introducing the product to someone else. But I remember walking around the room um, when I was hosting these events and asking people, hey, do you ever had motto? Do you know what matcha is? And nobody, literally no, zero, crickets, question marks everywhere. No one had any idea what it was. So I would explain motto is a, an, an entirely plant-based beverage with the key ingredient being matcha. And matcha is simply, instead of a green tea leaf, it's actually the, that you steep in hot water and you get kind of like the residue of whatever you're able to extract from, from steeping that tea bag or the tea leaves. Instead with matcha, you're actually drying and pulverizing the entire leaf and consuming the entire leaf whole. The benefits are like 12X of drinking a cup of green tea. Um, from a coffee comparison perspective, it's a third of the cup of, cap, uh, the, a third the amount of caffeine in a cup of coffee. That's actually a tough sentence to spit out. <laughs> um, and so it does have caffeine in it and obviously it adds up if you continue to have more, um, but it's a different type of, as you'll see described, if you do any research on matcha, it's a very kind of low, low and slow, steady buzz that you get that actually awakens your mind. And I could go down a whole nother rabbit hole with respect to um, the benefits and the power of matcha on autophagy, um, which as actually our body's ability to reuse and break down um, damaged proteins within our bodies that actually, if left in your body, um, become degenerative disease as you get older um, and, and, and enhance the rate of aging. And that's all you could look up, you know, Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine 2016, um, Yoshinori Osumi. And he's really the one that brought autophagy, autophagy to the mainstream. Um, and matcha is on a short list of ingredients that you can consume that will trigger autophagy alongside um, cardiovascular exercise and um, prolonged fasting. And so aside from that, there's apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, um, a touch of sea salt in the new formulation, um, a little bit of white button mushroom extract, and um, some secret ingredients that are still plant-derived that give it coloring and even more nutritive benefit. And the idea is that um, there are about 1.2 billion cans of soda consumed globally on a daily basis. And unfortunately, that is not a good thing because soda as it exists today and has existed for the past 100 years is mostly corn syrup, cane sugar, artificial coloring, and really, as you can see by the very, very you know, healthy list of ingredients there. It's not doing anything for you. Um, and so we've got a product that um, actually is slightly sweetened with a teaspoon of um, honey and agave. And again, plant derived. And there, it's the amount of sugar that makes it taste delicious and doesn't make you feel like you're on some extreme keto or drinking something that, um, you know, has a bit of an aftertaste, which some of these kind of alternative sweeteners have, and it's fine if you love those for zero calories, um, but we're a purely food-based play with this beverage. Every ingredient is a real piece of food, um, and food tends to have calories, um, and we have 60 calories per serving, and it's a 12-ounce can. It's absolutely delicious, so we're really, really close to our launch date, 
we've been spending a lot of time kind of preparing for our first uh, e-commerce site, which will be a great answer to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails that we've received from really de devoted fans who um, may or may not be addicted, Lance, um, and have discovered our product when it was available on you know almost 700 stores, but mostly contained to the Northeast um, and you know a bit in Colorado and California, but mostly contained to the Northeast. And when people are visiting New York um, or Boston and trying this product and falling in love with it, and then going back to Idaho or going back to Texas and having no access to it, um, that was a real problem. So our ability to answer and just serve um, a broader customer base is such a big leap for us. And um, so, you know, the biggest challenge really has been how do we take something that's made of entirely of plants and food, real food, and make it shelf stable, which means that it doesn't need to be, you know, constantly refrigerated. And um, so we've gotten through that challenge and really now are just working to fine tune um, our production and make sure that we have the product that makes the most sense from a flavor perspective um, as we send it out into the world for you know all of our fans to enjoy and share with their friends. That's that's impressive. I have to say I've had uh, I've had Motto a couple times uh, over the past uh, year or so since you've been with them, year and a half, I guess. Um, and uh, I did actually hold on to a bottle for months because it was like a souvenir and then I drank it and it, it tasted just great. So mm -hmm. it was, it could have been, uh, it's, uh, I, wanna, I don't want anybody to, to unfairly believe that it wouldn't have been shelf stable last year. That was pretty good. Um, and I believe, uh, you know, for me, it was a nice, it totally worked just like a, a coffee. No, no downside. Um, nice, gentle calming way to uh to get through your day and probably save me I'd, I'd say three or four coffees which don't quite work the same way so mm -hmm. great calories love that quote quotable quote that uh food tends to have calories um until moderna gets involved and then they're gonna right? find a way to cure that <laughs> i'm sure we're gonna cut that part out <laughs> so uh so thank you very much i, I think uh, people are going to want to access find a way to get get their hands on some motto is there a a place you could point them to with uh, any kind of really cool uh, uh, slash make your friends combo? Yeah, well, I would say um, the first place to go is obviously to drink motto at Instagram. Um, that's where we have really beautifully curated content that is meant to not be um, necessarily just self-promotion of our brand, but more so an encouragement to get out and live the life that you know you want to live. Um, so it's a cool place to find some inspiration there. And also, you know, we keep you in tune with all of the announcements, which will be many as we start rifling out these amazing new flavors and varieties for the first time ever. Um, and then obviously drinkmotto.com. Um, you can go and submit your email address. We'll have to um, add a special link for a promotion later because that is not available at the moment. Um, you can find that in the show notes. That's what they exactly. say on popular <laughs> But I also encourage people if they want, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very open to um, connecting with people on LinkedIn. So I definitely encourage people to find me on LinkedIn. Carolyn Kim Meenan um, is my profile name. You'll see two motto bottles in my header. It's hard to miss. Um, and just connect with, you know, a, a normal message and we'll connect. But um, 
definitely not a five page letter about what kind of software you're selling. That's not going to work. <laughs> well, well, what about you? You right now, maybe you need to meet some kind of people. You want to make any specific friends, any interesting type of people you're looking to meet right now? Anyway, we can. I'm always looking to connect with people who are striving for excellence and on their way there. Um, I am also looking for people who have been involved in the beverage space, whether it's in an investor capacity or in an experienced advisor capacity. Um, and whether it's for a serious conversation, potentially about investment, I'm sure we'll have many rounds in the future. And again, um, are trying to be particular about who we get involved there. Um, or just to, you know, shoot the shit about, um, you know, what's going on in the industry and whatever, you know, ideas or information we can trade. So definitely feel free to reach out to me there. LinkedIn is the best place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like investment is the hardest part of starting a business. We all know this if we've raised money. So I think if there's any investors that people know or that are listening to reach out to Caroline on LinkedIn. Yep. hundred percent. And thank you so much for being here. I learned a lot today. (laughs) Wonderful. Lance. Yeah. Yes. You're truly a master at work. And uh, on that note, we, uh, we have an idea for a follow on. Uh, to this podcast. It's called uh, God Mode. And it's for people like yourself, when they get into a uh, position where they've got a lot of work going, they, they do a great job. They look back and like, wow, how did I, how did I get all that done? <sighs> no, but there's, uh, there's obviously moments where everybody gets into the flow. And I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. But is there anyone in your life or in your uh, periphery uh, that really inspires you um, as a God Mode embodiment? Yeah, I would definitely say there's two people that come right to mind. One, I don't know personally, uh, but would love to, um, and would love the challenge of getting to them uh, for a good reason. And the other is someone who's been uh, a friend of mine through um, some of my earliest events, even before good ones. um, And I've just been watching her. So her name is Melissa Chen, and she um, has become this um, just very radical uh, humanitarian. Um, and she, you know, she was recently, I think this past year um, on the Joe Rogan show, um, she has really put herself in a position where she's gotten to know anybody that she wants to know. And these are, these are very successful people with millions of followers. Um, and she's been able to do that because she's established credibility for herself as a thought leader and someone who um, really is, is achieving excellence and has always strived for excellence, but is achieving excellence. Um, so she's exceptional. Um, and I would say Chef Gordon. Um, so you can watch him on Amazon Prime. Um, it's a 2013 documentary called Supermensch. Um, and he is actually a, it's a, it's a good film. He is a documentary and he is still alive. He is a talent agent. Um, and he's worked with the likes of, I think his first client was Alice Cooper. Um, and then he went to represent like Luther Vandross, uh, Frankie Valli, George Clinton, Gypsy Kings, Pink Floyd, Pointer Sisters. And then he kind of dove into the food space and worked with, um, Emma Lagasse, Jonathan Waxman, Lydia Shire, Wolfgang Puck, um, all very familiar names. And the film is really interesting in the way it portrays um, his just open-mindedness to whatever was coming his way and to kind of, um, 
you know, leverage these relationships to, to open new doors for others. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a great way. Like if you're working with someone and you've helped build them to be, you know, a mainstream title, um, why not take that to the next level and, and meet all of their friends and really work within that community of clients. And, you know, there's a really cool section at the end of the film that goes through a lot of famous faces that you'll recognize. And they all have just a short clip of things to say about him as a person of just high integrity and a kind human that you want to work with. And I think that's what we can aspire to be. Um, and I can say the same thing for Melissa, just a kind human that'll go out of her way for you and be forever grateful for anything that you've done for her. Um, and, and I think if we can aspire to be like these people, um, we're all in much better hands. Man, I hope someone talks about me the way you talk about those two one day. One day, Lance. Hope one so. day. Mm -hmm.